The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. Russell Wilson approves of a couple of the signings made by the Seattle Seahawks. One, Chris Carson, an unrestricted free agent, staying put on a two-year deal. Carlos Dunlap had been cut by the Seahawks in a cap move. Now, as of last night, he's back on a two-year deal. Russell very pumped, unless he's just being passive-aggressive about it, which is entirely possible as well, since there is a broader Shakespearean drama playing out between Wilson and the Seahawks, to the point, Peter, where I'm told that this recent flirtation with Richard Sherman and the Seahawks' decision to make it known that they wouldn't rule out a reunion with Sherman is kind of a roundabout middle finger at Russ because of the acrimony between Russ and Sherman, just because of everything Wilson has put the team through this offseason with his public effort to complain about where the team currently is, lack of protection, offensive struggles, et cetera. And who knows, maybe Sherman still does come back to Seattle, which would make for some high drama in 2021. Look, you know, the one thing that's lost in this is that Richard Sherman would make the Seahawks better in 2021. You're not signing Richard Sherman. Nobody's going to sign him for three or four years unless they're voidable years you know, on the bottom of the contract. So, you know, as I look at this with uh, the Richard Sherman thing, I see it more in an, uh, in a more innocent way. I mean, the effect of it could be that. You're right, Mike. But I see it in a way like, hey, listen, we just lost Griffin, even though he's not a great cornerback, but he signed with Jacksonville. We are ranks at the corner position right now are not good and to get Richard Sherman, even if he only makes it through six or eight games, that would improve us significantly on the outside. Wouldn't you be better off, though, waiting to see what you get in the draft? Maybe you get a younger guy that's got full tread on the tires who comes in and maybe develops into someone who would be as good as where Sherman is right now? Because he's, he's clearly on the decline, Peter. The question is, how much is left in the tank? Yeah, but Mike, when you're the Seattle Seahawks and you have three draft choices and your first one isn't until the 50s, um, to think you can count on a guy who's drafted either on the second or third day of this draft and to think that that guy can step in and to give you anything in September like what Richard Sherman could is just not intelligent. So that's the only reason. I mean, and look, I have no idea if they could either afford him or if they could work out one of these contracts where they would, you know, do four fake years on the end of a one-year deal. That's probably the way they'd have to do it. But the only way that they could, you know, that they would realize this or, or the only way I think they would be able to do anything with a young cornerback is to trade up. And I just don't see that that John Schneider has either the ammunition or anything. I mean, his next two ones are gone. 
There has been not significant interest in Sherman since he became a free agent. The Saints at one point were mentioned. I don't know if that ever went anywhere. John Gruden openly tampered with Sherman back before free agency started. The Raiders haven't emerged. Do you attach any significance, Peter, to the fact that Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator in San Francisco during the entirety of Sherman's time there, is the head coach of the Jets and has not made a beeline to try to bring Sherman in to teach the system to younger players and give him a veteran presence in the locker room and just basically be eyes and ears and and mouthpiece for what Saul is trying to do. No question. I do apply an upraised eyebrow to that. And look, the way the Jets work, Robert Sala is going to have to convince Joe Douglas if he wants somebody to come in because Joe Douglas has got final personnel say. You know, it's sort of like in a weird way, the way John Schneider had to convince Pete Carroll in 2012 about Russell Wilson because Pete Carroll had final personnel say, you know, in the draft that year. So, you know, to me, I think this is one of those situations where Robert Sala had X numbers of bat- X number of battles that he could fight. And I just don't think that he wanted to go to the wall for Richard Sherman because for whatever reason. And look, he loves Richard Sherman and Richard Sherman loves him. And so I don't know the story behind it. Maybe Sherman said, look, I'm not coming east. I'm not leaving my family back here. I'm not moving everybody back there. It's a pandemic, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But I do think that it's curious to me that that Sala didn't go hard after Richard Sherman. All right, we've got plenty of questions to answer on this Friday edition of PFT Live, opening up the mailbag, and right out of the gates, our good friend A. Red Zimanalk, who's been asking questions for a decade now to PFT Live in its various forms. Who will be the biggest loser in this ongoing drama in Houston, the Texans or Deshaun Watson, Peter? We haven't talked about Deshaun Watson today. Obviously, things have changed dramatically since the last time you were on with me, and especially because it was a PFTPM, maybe even before any of the stuff hit the fan in Houston. Where do you think this currently stands by way of Watson or the Texans losing more in the long run? They've all been napalmed, every single one in the organization. Um, you know, look at the Texans as a football team, Mike. The Texans are an expansion team. They just signed about 900 people in free agency who nobody has ever heard of. And, you know, and you look at what's going on with their team. And this is going to be, I mean, thank God for them that Jacksonville's in the division, at least for one more year. Uh, You know, maybe they'll be able to win one of the games against Jacksonville. Who knows? But, But I guess I look at this, Mike, and say... This team really took a huge hit because of the disaffection, uh, you know, of, of what happened in essence with Deshaun Watson. But again, look, Deshaun Watson is in a significant amount of trouble, you know, legally right now. Right now, it's only civil cases. Could it graduate to criminal cases? We'll see. But... His reputation is, you know, as we speak, you know, he's the guy on the back of the horse who has fallen off the horse and the horse just keeps running as the guy is, uh, you know, is driven, is, is just basically ridden along in the dirt. And so I kind of look at this and say everybody is lost. Uh, I, I don't know how to quantify who has lost more, but as of now, I think everybody is a giant loser in Houston. And Peter, one thing that I want to emphasize to the extent that folks missed this earlier in the week, the possibility for criminal prosecution right now, I believe, is low because prosecutors typically don't like to take on cases that they think they have a good chance of losing. And it's difficult to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt in a case where you've got the testimony from one witness and you've got contradicting testimony from another witness. And even without that accused testifying, if he exercises his right against self-incrimination, the story of the accuser 
can often be sufficiently questioned and undermined to raise reasonable doubt. Doesn't take much to create reasonable doubt. Skilled defense lawyers can do that. But the problem for Watson is, even if there isn't enough now to proceed against him with a criminal charge that a prosecutor would feel good about resulting in a conviction, if these civil cases go forward, he's got a hell of a decision to make. Because if you take the fifth in the context of the civil case, which you have the right to do before the criminal cases are filed or resolved, while there's still the possibility of criminal jeopardy, you're going to lose the civil case. Think about it. The person who's accusing you gets on the witness stand, tells a story, and your response is to say, I invoke my right against self-incrimination. You're losing that case, every one of those cases where you do that. Well, the other side of it is, if you allow yourself to be cross-examined by Tony Busby aggressively, twisted into knots because he's skilled at twisting people into knots and you've never testified before and you're in your mid-20s and you have no idea where any of this is going and the next thing you know, you've created a transcript that becomes a blueprint that a prosecutor can take and make his or her case easier. That's the, the problem. That's the ultimate dilemma Deshaun Watson faces. And that's why I've been saying, hey, the best move is have your reckoning. Make things right. Whatever it is that you did or didn't do, you've got 16 and up to 24 people who think you did something you shouldn't have done. Get everybody in a room. Get a retired judge there to serve as a mediator and work all this out. Because otherwise, Peter, this is going to hover over him, the Texans, and more importantly, the NFL for a year, year and a half, two years, and it's only going to make the NFL upset and create a bigger consequence for Watson on the back end. His best play, make this all go away. And I don't mean do it in a way that is unfair to the individuals. It has to take into account their concerns. It has to make them feel like they've had their day in court and they have to be reasonably satisfied with the outcome as it relates to them. Yeah, I think now, Mike, you know, the more immediate question is, what do you do if you are a team? Maybe the Jets, maybe Miami, maybe Carolina. What do you do if Nothing. you're a team that had legitimate interest in Deshaun Watson? There's absolutely nothing you can do. And so, therefore, the reason why, in my opinion, that, look, the timing is never good for a case as sordid and ugly as this. But the reason why this timing is incredibly bad is because what's going to happen? You know, I would say the three biggest candidates right now in order would be Carolina, uh, Miami, and the New York Jets in that order. Okay. And if that is the case, right, every one of those teams very well (coughs) could move on from Deshaun Watson uh, in the month of April. What happens if Mac Jones lasts till number eight, which he probably will, and if the Panthers, who've been really, you know, disguising their interest in Mac Jones. Mike Tannenbaum, I had him on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he said he would bet me anything, uh, some Starbucks thing. He bet me anything that Mac Jones does not get past number eight. You know, and and he was he was certain he was just had absolute certainty about it. So, but all I'm saying is, when they take if they take a quarterback at number eight, right? So then they're out of the race for Deshaun Watson. And similarly, if Tua Tagovailoa plays and plays well this fall, they're out of the race for Deshaun Watson. And I don't think the Jets. I think the Jets are a distant third. Because I don't think they're going to trade for... I didn't think they were going to trade for Deshaun Watson going into this. But take all of those things. And now, where's the market? San Francisco, maybe. Uh, I mean, and and what is somebody going to pay for a tarnished player like Deshaun Watson? You know, and, and again, I say tarnished player. And there could be a way that none of... This none of these accusations are true. We simply don't know. But really, Mike, you've been involved in this from both sides, from the media side and the legal side. You know that no matter what happens, there is going to be a tarnish on Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and I think one way that you can begin to repair the damage is 
resolve the matters in a way that is satisfactory to the people who have the grievances that have been reduced to a civil complaint. But when, when we say make this go away, there's nothing nefarious there. It means resolve it, fix it, find a way to make those individuals happy, and then you move forward with your redemption. The redemption's going to come at some point. A redemption came for Mike Vick. A redemption will come. But part of getting your redemption is you, you, you've, got to, you've got to take your reckoning and pay your penance, whatever it may be. My concern for Deshaun Watson is the more he fights, the more he digs in, the longer this lasts, the worse it's going to be. And even if it does get resolved today, there's that question that an organization is going to have to ask. Do we do business with this individual from a PR standpoint? Everything's about PR as far as the NFL and its teams are concerned. Are we comfortable doing business with Deshaun Watson, some teams, some cities, some states, it may be easier than others. These are all complicated decisions and questions that need to be resolved by the various teams. I just think that everyone is better off if Deshaun Watson recognizes that there's a problem that needs to be resolved and there's no magic wand he can wave to resolve it. It's not going to go away. And if he fights it, it's going to last a long time. And the best thing that he can do at this point is make it right for the individuals who are lining up with these complaints. And I know they're frustrated that they don't know who they are because they all file under the name Jane Doe. The complaints make it pretty clear dates and times and places. You should be able to figure out who they are. And if it's immaterial, bring them all together. You'll find out who they are when you have your mediation session and you try to make it right with each one of them. To me, that's the best play. And that's the only way to have this cleared up before the 2021 season begins. And even then, Peter, he still may be suspended without pay for a certain number of games to start the year. But at least it's not going to be a situation where he's on paid leave for a whole year, like an Adrian Peterson or a Greg Hardy were in 2014. That's part of the problem here. And that's a great irony. He's never going to play for the Texans again. That's what John McClain says. Well, you know what? The only way he may get paid this year is to be on the Texans because he's on paid leave. And the Texans are paying him $10 million while all this other stuff keeps going. So this is a mess for everyone. And the sooner that the legal cases are resolved, the sooner it it is a mess that is cleaned up for everyone. Mike, can I, can I just add one last thing to this? I think there is a great lesson to be learned. You mentioned Michael Vick. Uh, and, and Michael Vick basically found a second life in the NFL. He didn't find it in Atlanta, but he found it in Philadelphia. And he redeemed so much about himself with his work in this second life. But I will never, ever forget when he told me when he got out of prison, and I wrote this for Sports Illustrated, that one of the things that haunted is too strong a word, but when he was sitting in Leavenworth, you know, the Kansas prison, when he was sitting in Leavenworth, uh, you know, sent there as a, uh, as a as sentenced to dogfighting charges. When he was sitting there, one of the things that kept coming in his head is, how am I going to face Roger Goodell? How am I going to, I swore to Roger Goodell that these charges were trumped up. You know, there was nothing to him. I never did this. I had nothing to do with dogfighting. How am I going to do this? And so, that is something, honestly, that in my opinion, and look, I am not saying in any way that Deshaun Watson is guilty, but I, what I am saying is that if there are things that Deshaun Watson feels he is culpable in, the best thing that he could do right now, I believe, is exactly what you say. He's got he's to come clean and he's got to talk about all of this stuff uh, either privately with his accusers or, you know, if he is absolutely convinced he's being ramrodded and, you know, you want the truth to come out, then I guess you fight it. But in my opinion, you know, he's got to make sure that he doesn't say anything right now that he's truly going to regret later on. I mean, the bottom line is he was engaged in activities that put him in a position to have these accusations made. And one of the defenses we've heard from him, what they believe is a silver bullet for lawsuit number three, it's actually a boomerang because it shows that 
on his radar screen for these massages was the possibility of the massages becoming something more than that, which is the gist of the complaints that have been made against him. He just claims in one case it was consensual. It bolsters the other 15 who are saying that he was looking for something more than just a massage. All right, next question comes from Dr. J144, and this is a good one. Is Larry Fitzgerald, current free agent, free agent for the first time in his career, underappreciated? I'd argue he's had a better career than Randy Moss or Terrell Owens. Maybe he'd get more attention if he had Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer's whole career instead of Ryan Lindley, Max Hall, John Skelton, etc. Do you think that that Larry Fitzgerald, given he was in Arizona, revolving door of mediocrity for the most part at quarterback, do we not appreciate him the way that we would or should if he'd been with a higher profile team and a better quarterback for most of his career? I mean, maybe, but you could say that about 100 players in NFL history. Every year when I get in the Hall of Fame room, we start talking about the guys from the uh, from the teams, the underappreciated teams. Why isn't Tommy Nobis in the Hall of Fame? He was what Dick Butkus was. It's just his team lost all the time. And I get that. I understand that. And there's no question. If Larry Fitzgerald had Steve Young and Joe Montana as his quarterback for his career, there's a good chance he'd have more catches than Jerry Rice. I get that. Because if Jerry Rice had had Max Hall throwing him the ball, he wouldn't have 1,500 and whatever, 60 catches, whatever the number is. But that's the way life goes. And, and I do think sometimes that we get so consumed with individual numbers and records and, and all those things that we don't sit back and realize and think about the greatness of individual players on their face. Okay, without looking at the numbers. Let's not look at the numbers. Let's look at one of the things that made Larry Fitzgerald so great. And that is his utter, absolute unselfishness at a position where divas reign. And you see it time and time and time again. Never in a hundred years would Larry Fitzgerald not congratulate, <coughs> you know, one of his fellow receivers after they caught a touchdown pass or made a big first down because he's happy. It's a good thing for the team. And, and that is one of the things that I take from Larry Fitzgerald's career. You heard a lot about at different times, Jerry Rice's, uh, you know, selfishness, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. And, you know, you just don't hear that out of Larry Fitzgerald because he has been his entire career, a team guy. One of the things I wish we would have seen more of over the years is Larry Fitzgerald in the postseason because he seems to right. always find a higher level when he gets to those playoff games. 2008, an incredible run. That that in and of itself put him on the, the radar screen for the possibility of Canton, and he's only built on that ever since then. And, Peter, my theory is that he won't be back in Arizona once they signed A.J. Green. That was that. I think, and I don't know anything here. I never know anything, but that's never stopped me. I think that Fitzgerald and the Buccaneers may be destined to be a match at the right time. You've got Bruce Arians there. You've got Jason Light there. You've got Tom Brady there. You've got a receivers coach who worked with Fitzgerald in Arizona. And you've got an opportunity for Larry Fitzgerald to walk off into the sunset with a Super Bowl ring for a team that has managed to hold it all together. And I think once the Bucks get to the point where they've exhausted their effort to hold everything together and they're almost there, they're down to two guys, Leonard Fournette and Antonio Brown, you can pivot to a Larry Fitzgerald. And you do it at the right time, it'd be the biggest story in the NFL on the day that it happens if you pick the right day to do it. You know, Mike, I at some point... I think you have to look at your team and be a little bit realistic. That if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at some point, you know, you, you've got to say, we really can't do anymore. And, and if we actually did this, it reminds me of all these guys right now. I don't know how the system works in the NBA, but all these guys getting bought out and then they can go play for whatever team they want. The Lakers or the Nets or Utah, whatever it is. And, and I just sort of asked myself the question, you know, I, I mean, it remind, it, 
how, how, how much is enough? And what do you say to all of the receivers on your team, right? If you were to bring in Larry Fitzgerald, knowing that Bruce Arians is madly in love with Larry Fitzgerald and is going to find a way to get him catches, as is Byron Leftwich, he loves him too. What do you say to the young Tyler Johnson, you know, the, the, the second-year receiver who showed so much promise? What do you say to Scotty Mitchell, who played a gigantic role in helping you win the NFC Championship game last year? You know, what do you say to Antonio Brown? You know, and again, I realize you're not, you're not worried about Antonio Brown, but at some point, you know, you've got to understand that you, there's only so many catches to go around. I, I don't see it. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility. I, I just, I think it'd be kind of foolish. All due respect to Antonio Brown, and I respect the fact that he has managed to stay out of trouble for the most part. The swap of Brown for Larry Fitzgerald, no-brainer. Bring me that NFL yeah. Walter Payton. That's Man if they the don't bring Antonio Brown back. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that may be one of the reasons they haven't. I just have a weird – I just – I just it's it's March 26th and Larry Fitzgerald hasn't announced anything about his future. The moment the Cardinals sign AJ Green, that's when I say he's not going to go back to Arizona. And I just think that that everyone involved is waiting for the right moment and it's just going to be the the cannonball into the deep end of the pool and people are going to go, "Whoa, wow. Larry Fitzgerald to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers." And and I think that just the last little bit of insurance against complacency, Peter, because I don't think they will be complacent, not with Tom Brady around. You throw into the mix a guy who wants to go out with a championship. That's just that extra little impetus to get the Buccaneers players motivated to go climb the mountain that they just climbed once. You, go, you want to go back and do it again because now you're doing it for Larry Fitzgerald. Can I just say one other thing about Fitzgerald to the Bucks? Look, if they did this, Jason Light has built this house of cards, you know, where, you know, he keeps adding one and he's just very, very careful that he adds it so that the whole thing doesn't collapse. My question is, Jason Light at some point has to think about 2024. He has to. And he can't just keep borrowing against the future with you know, luxuries right now because he thinks that this would give us a one half of 1% chance more to win a second Super Bowl. You know, the, the, the crash and burn of this team, unless the salary cap is 280 million in 2023 or 24, you know, could be ugly, you know, especially when you have to draft John Doe to be your next quarterback. So, I don't know, Mike. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying that financially, I'd have to be really comfortable that this wasn't going to be another brick in the wall of, uh, you know, a, of a bad construction job for 23 and 24. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we shall be 5 and 12. That's my position on it. Go for it now. You know I what? see you've it, it, updated that. It's 5 and 12. I like that. I'm doing my best. It's taken a while to add in. <laughs> you know, it's been 40 plus years of 6 and 10, 5 and 11, 7 and 9, 8 and 8. We got to get used to adding that 17th number to the analysis, even if it's 8, 8 and 1, which uh, probably will happen at some point. L let's fast forward because we've, we've spent a lot of time on these first two, but it was worth it. At NBC Sports, what's a sports movie moment? that made you cry, Peter King? Um, field of Dreams. Uh, hey, Dad, you want to play catch? That was... For me... I thought that was a particular... That was a weepy moment. Yes, extremely. For me, and it yeah. still does it to this day, anytime I see it, the end of Rocky Two, when he's bloodied, and he holds. I'm. It, I. I. It's. I'm cracking up. Just meant. Just. Just conjuring it in my brain. When he beats Creed, and and he says, other than the my kid being born, <laughs> this is the greatest night in the history of my life. It does it to me every <laughs> time. So, 
All right, let's take a break. Weekend review, rapid fire style when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. I'm just wondering what the biggest difference was in your mind between Brian Flores, the linebackers coach, and Brian Flores, the head coach. Yeah, no comment. Okay. Calvin, no, not thrilled with that question. He spent a year with Brian Flores in Miami when Flores was the head coach. After spending time with Flores when Flores was an assistant in New England, Van Noy not happy that he was released after only one year. A little word association time as we go weekend review. What 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 word or words come to mind that aren't profane? That uh, Peter, you may think of when you see what Van Noy had to say about Flores. I, I think that look. I think Brian Flores uh, has had a great impact uh, on the Dolphins franchise, and was an excellent selection as coach. But I mean, he's had about sixteen offensive coordinators there so far. They can't get that right, and he knew Kyle Van Noy exceedingly well, so well that for the first year that Kyle Van Noy played. In Miami, the Miami Dolphins paid him $15 million. And they got 14 games for that. And then they, they cut him. So, I mean, to me, you know, there something happened there. And someday when Brian Flores writes his book, we'll probably get his version of what happened because he totally keeps cards close to the vest. But my feeling right now about that is that, look... Brian Flores and to a lesser degree Chris Greer, they got to do better in personnel and coach selection. That's my reaction to all this. They, they, they you can't, you can't give a, a huge free agent fifteen million dollars in one year, then just cut him. You can't do that very often, anyway. And I think it's a cautionary tale for Miami. I also think, from my perspective, you know what I thought of was no sacred cows. And that's kind of the approach that Bill Belichick had, and that's what Flores learned over all those years he was in New England. You make your decisions independent and irrespective of what a guy has done in the past, what you've paid him in the past, whether you like him or don't, you have to make your decisions based on a cold, rational assessment of where your team is and where you want your team to go, even if it means making some dramatic changes. Flores isn't afraid to do that. Daniel Snyder is going to buy out his minority partners, Fred Smith, Robert Rothman, Dwight Shaw, had been trying for well over a year to sell their interest. They had found a buyer for their total interest. Snyder wanted to just piecemeal exercise his right of first refusal. That sparked arbitration, litigation. Finally, Snyder on the brink of getting permission from the league to exceed the debt ceiling so he can buy them out. What is the first word or group of words that may come to mind when you see that Snyder is going to have 100% of the Washington football team. 
it's bad news for the fans of a fabled franchise. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't see I don't see how Daniel Snyder owning this team is good for people who love the burgundy and gold. Um, and look, he can do whatever he wants. He owns the franchise. The NFL has shown time and again that barring a horrendous situation, which I'm not sure how what percentage you know all of this stuff off the field with the cheerleaders and and all that i don't know that's some percentage of horrendous okay but i guess it doesn't rise to horrendous enough to make you sell your team but you look at the history of of this franchise under daniel snyder it stinks and you know if you're a fan of this franchise it's a sad week my first reaction was no forced sale. That's what I thought when I saw that this was being done. The league's not going to do this guy any favors. He's not going to make it any easier for him to consolidate 100% of the equity in the team if they're getting ready to tell him that his punishment for years of workplace misconduct that occurred on his watch would be that he's going to be mandated to sell the team to someone else. They just wouldn't have done it. And that's been the reaction that others in – positions of power and influence around the league have had as well it wouldn't be getting to this point if the league was thinking about saying to Daniel Snyder you must sell the team and you know what Peter I will say one thing him getting the extra 40 percent really doesn't matter as it relates to the control of the team one of the reasons it's only I say only because the team is worth more than this when you break it down on a percentage basis 950 875 million somewhere in that ballpark for 40%, that's a valuation of between 2.3-2.4 billion. But that minority interest isn't worth as much because you don't have power. You don't have voting rights. You don't have a path to control. So Snyder already held that. So this doesn't matter. This just means he owns it all. People just assumed he owns it all. Now he will own it all. And at some point he'd he'd be able to sell it all if he wants to. But my understanding has always been he wants to give it to his kids, and now he'll give them the whole team, not just a piece of it. I wonder if he if if uh, if he'll give his kids the right to pick the next Dwayne Haskins. I mean, well, this is this is just not a it's it's just not good news for the future of football in Washington. It just isn't, and I'm not saying any of these other owners are miracle workers. I mean, Cal McNair is doing one heck of a job in Houston. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know, Mike. It's just when I saw that this week, I shrugged my shoulders and I just said, bad news for fans of that franchise. Good news is they've shown some things as you stack them up that, that give us reason to believe that a brighter day may be coming, but we'll wait and see how that plays out. Brighter days, obviously, in Tampa Bay. We talked about the possibility of Larry Fitzgerald earlier. But let's focus for now on the fact that six of their eight free agents are back. When we saw this week that Ndamukong Sue is joining that list of guys who will be staying put, what was your reaction? Um, you know, half of my reaction is good. You know, they the band will be back together. And really, with the exception <laughs> right now, the biggest one I think is Antonio Brown. He scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Brady really trusts him and all that. But, you know, they've got basically everybody back. And I guess my only issue is, you know, Bill Parcells had a famous saying that he would say four times a day if he said it once, which is you never pick up one year where you left off the previous year. And so, look, I think the Bucs should be favorites to win it again. I get it. But I guess my whole point, you know, about where they are right now is that, you know, this still guarantees you nothing. And even getting O.J. Howard back, it all guarantees you nothing. This is a very, very good team, an excellent football team. Uh, and, And I think it's great that they have all these guys back. But football's a funny game. The ball is shaped in a very, in, in an oval, ball is shaped like an oval. And, you know, it takes funny bounces. And who knows if, what happens if Kevin King doesn't play an awful game? And by the way, how about Kevin King getting $6 million to re-sign with Green Bay? Like, did anybody there watch football games last year? <laughs> Especially in the postseason. I mean, <laughs> what the heck was that? Anyway, I 
Mike, I think it's good that they're bringing these guys back, but does it ensure anything? Absolutely not. The uh, points bet folks have been impressed by what the Buccaneers have done. The odds have improved dramatically for the Buccaneers to repeat. The Chiefs are still the betting favorite, according to points bet, but, but the Buccaneers have, have managed to hold it together enough that they are regarded as one of the shortlist favorites now from plus 1200 down to plus 525 plus 1200 right after winning it in early february and now the odds dramatically better for the bucks but we'll see and look we hey there's a reason why teams don't repeat very often there's a reason why it's just been the patriots over the past 20 years and before that we had the broncos two in a row we had the cowboys two in a row but it hasn't happened very often since free agency came along, and that's one of the big reasons why. So uh, having Tom Brady makes a huge difference. We'll see if that can make the difference in 2021. All right, let's take a break. Our draft for today, as mentioned earlier, the best 17th games under the formula that the NFL will be using to expand the regular season by one game. We'll do that draft next here on PFT Live. Seventeen games will be happening this year. Peter King had the loose formula earlier in the year about how they're going to come up with the seventeenth game. It's going to be interconference, and it's going to be first place versus first place, second place versus second place, and so on, matching up divisions from the two different conferences. There it is. How it would happen in twenty twenty one. How it will happen. No would. It will happen. So we're going to draft. Given that basic formula the best matchups to come with the 17th game in an 18-week season. Trivia question for Peter King. Who won the Super Bowl the last time the NFL had an 18-week regular season? The New England Patriots. Womp, womp, womp. 18-week regular season. I have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> 1993, it was the year with two buys. 16 regular season games, two yeah. buys. Dallas Cowboys, after starting 0-2 during the Emmett Smith holdout, managed to defeat the Buffalo Bills for the second straight year to win their second straight championship with an 18-week regular season. I didn't like the two buys. Plenty of people still want two buys. This time around, 18 weeks will be happening by virtue yeah. of 17 games. All right, well, uh, sometimes it helps to win the – the first pick sometimes it doesn't today it does hello Chiefs Packers hello Patrick Mahomes Aaron Rodgers we missed it the last time around because Patrick Mahomes was injured we missed it in the Super Bowl this year because the Packers couldn't close the deal at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to qualify for the Super Bowl we're going to get it this year instantly That 17th game from that category of possible 17th games comes the best game of the year, Chiefs-Packers, Peter. I mean, that's so far number one. That's the best game in the league this coming year. Um, And so, look, there's no question that that that's the best week 17 or game 17 game. Uh, I'm going to take Seattle and Pittsburgh. And the reason why is because... I think that both teams are on the precipice. You know, what's the future of both franchises? And what's the future of both franchise quarterbacks? This will be without any question the last time Ben Roethlisberger and Russell Wilson play each other unless they meet in the Super Bowl this season. So, you know, to me, I like that matchup and I like it happening. Uh, I, I hope it happens sort of late in the season with a lot on the line. The last time those two teams played, it was the Ben Roethlisberger elbow went out game week two in 2019. Four years before that, it was the Ben Roethlisberger tapped out with concussion-like symptoms, a step that really helped push the culture towards self-reporting. And of course, way back when, when Russell Wilson probably was in high school, the Steelers beat the Seahawks to win Super Bowl 40, so that is a good one. Another matchup that has some history, 
not by virtue of the teams, but by virtue of the participants, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Indianapolis Colts, Tom Brady, the team that instigated Deflategate, the team that has always been one of the top rivals for Tom Brady when he was with the New England Patriots. The rivalry is back on, as Chris Ballard said, when Josh McDaniels jilted the Colts a few years ago. That game otherwise, if without Tom Brady, who cares? Buccaneers, Colts, who cares? You throw Tom Brady into it, and that becomes a compelling game. And we're getting that game this year because there's going to be a 17th game, Peter. I got a sneaky one for my next one, and that is Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Arizona, Cleveland, both teams that should, should win double digits in 2021. I love the game not just because of the good old boys uh, Texas high school quarterback matchup. I like it because, or, or I like it because there's so many great aspects of this game. You know, J.J. Watt uh, chasing around another young, fast quarterback, number one. And, you know, I also really like the fact that, to me, this is one of the next steps for the Cleveland Browns. The Browns have to win games like this to continue their advancement. You know, 2020 was a really fun year for the Cleveland Browns in all ways. They won a playoff game. They beat dreaded rival Pittsburgh in a playoff game. But now it's about taking that next step, being consistently good every week and beating playoff contenders like Arizona. And they were teammates at Oklahoma. And here's how close Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield are. When Murray was making the rounds at the Super Bowl before he decided to play football over baseball, he was on set with us. Mayfield called him three times during the interview, because at one point, Kyler said, Baker keeps calling. I don't know whether it was before we started or whenever, but it was clear to me that Baker kept calling Kyler. They are close. They are tight, and they get to face each other this year because of this 17th game. Cowboys-Patriots. I'll take Cowboys-Patriots anytime, anyplace, anywhere, even though the Cowboys may not be very good. The Patriots, given the moves they've made this year, they will be better, at least we think they will be, and that's always a big game uh, because it's it's two of the biggest national brands that the NFL has to offer, and it's a game that's happening this year by virtue of the 17th game. So that's my next pick. You know, my last one, is this my last one coming up, or do we have one more round? It's up to you. All right. Last one. My last one coming up is going to be New Orleans and Tennessee. It's not going to be a sexy game for the networks because it doesn't have big markets or anything like that. But what is so cool about this game is we are basically going to see the next iteration of Sean Payton's New Orleans Saints, whether whoever is going to play quarterback and whatever they actually look like, you know, as an organization, as a team against a team that is out to redeem itself after a really shaky uh, postseason in Tennessee. So to me, I like the fact this is one of those games that you would always point to and say, wow, you know, Tennessee, New Orleans, this is not one of those great traditional rivalries or anything like that. But I love the fact that Jameis Winston, you know, or Taysom Hill, this is going to be one more time proving himself against another very good team. Other games that stand out for me, Rams-Ravens. That was one of the coming out parties for Lamar Jackson in 2019 when he shredded the Rams on a Monday night. Bills in Washington, Fitzmagic used to be the Buffalo starting quarterback. Then again, he's played for so many teams. He's seen the Bills enough times that he's worked that out of his system. One more on my list that I see here. All Texans-Panthers in the event that Deshaun Watson would end up being traded to Carolina. That becomes a game in the event that, uh, is significant, and it is uh, something that's happening by virtue of the 17th game. By the way, all those games, Peter, right? AFC hosted, so it'll be nine home games and for the AFC teams. That's this year. likely, and yeah. it's likely. It's not certain. It's likely. But either way, that's the only way to avoid competitive imbalance. You made that point a few weeks right. ago. It's going to be Have one or the other. The, all NFC yeah, or all, all AFC. AFC or all yeah. NFC. All right, let's take a break. Zach Wilson's Pro Day is coming up today. We'll talk about that as we wrap up this Friday edition of Game Live right after this. 
BYU Zach Wilson has his pro day today. Peter, in a normal year, the pro day doesn't mean as much because the private workout is where the team falls in love with or not in love with the quarterback. I remember Teddy Bridgewater seven years ago, horrendous pro day. Vikings had a private workout. He put the gloves back on. Remember he did the pro day without the gloves and it was a disaster. Did the pro did the private workout for the Vikings with the gloves. This is our guy. They trade into round one and they get him. No private workouts this year. All eggs in one basket for Zach Wilson in his pro day. So we'll see how he throws. We'll see how he looks. We'll see what the measurables are. No combine, no private workouts. It all comes down to the pro day, Peter. And look, um, I think we all think that Zach Wilson ends up somewhere around two or three, uh, maybe down to four uh, in Atlanta or to three with a team that Miami trades with. But we'll see. I think one of the big things about this day today is going to be how Zach Wilson, you know, he has been training with John Beck in Southern California. And John Beck's, one of his mantras, his quarterback coach, former second round pick in the NFL, one of his mantras is, don't throw the ball to a guy, throw a ball through the guy. And I think particularly... People like Joe Douglas are going to be looking at his velocity and his ability to make that 25-yard out on the money. And so to me, that is what I'm looking for mostly uh, when you watch Zach Wilson's 70 or 80 throws today. Far more importantly, I have a bet that I would like points bet to set the odds on. And the bet is whether or not we will have Urban Meyer, the coach of the Jaguars, looming over Zach Wilson with a mask covering <laughs> his mouth and not his nose. That's the odds I want. I'd say minus 150, yes, he will be hovering and nose exposed, Urban Meyer. Today. And Meyer explained, all joking aside, he did explain he, he, he wants to add a little pressure to these guys. And if the coach is standing there, Peter, it adds a little pressure. And as Urban Meyer says, I want to hear the ball go out of his hands. And he told me recently, absolutely, I definitely heard the ball go out of Trevor Lawrence's hands. And I liked what I heard. All right. Thanks for some of your time on this Friday morning. We'll see you at 5 p.m. for PFTPM. Have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.